This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Recently, a very good friend of mine sent me a very compelling article that was about the cholera epidemic in 1832. The article is called Life in the Time of Cholera, colon, Lessons on a Pandemic. And this article is by George Proshnick, and it appeared in Emergence Magazine, which is an online magazine that weaves the threads that connects ecology, culture, and spirituality. The 1832 cholera pandemic, George Proshnick writes about it through the eyes of German poet, writer, and observer of life, Heinrich Heine. And Heinrich Heine was living in Paris at the time that this epidemic broke out. Let me tell you first a little bit about the author of the article, George Proshnick. He's a writer, he's a thinker, and like Heinrich Heine, an observer of life. He's the author of many essays and books to include In Pursuit of Silence, Listening for Meaning in a World of Noise, and The Impossible Exile, Stefan Zweig at the End of the World. And that book won the National Jewish Book Award for Biography in 2014. He's currently working on another book, Heinrich Heine, Writing the Revolution. And that book will be coming from Yale University Press. George Proshnick taught English and American literature at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He's currently the editor at large of Cabinet Magazine, a quarterly Brooklyn, New York-based magazine on arts and culture. He lives in New York City with his wife, Rebecca Mead, a writer for The New Yorker. As Proshnick writes his article on the 1832 cholera pandemic, he himself is in London in March of 2020. And even as the global pandemic is beginning, he notices the jaundiced color of the buildings in his location. His description is reminiscent of the description of Heinrich Heine about the worldwide 1832 cholera pandemic, where Heine says, as he looked outside, that it was like a light white shroud over sick Paris. And so Proshnick observes how nature sometimes mimics what goes on with humans. Now, since he's telling this story from the point of view of Heinrich Heine, who's this poet, I want to tell you a little bit about Heine as well. Heine was born in Dusseldorf, Germany in 1797. He fled to Paris in 1831 since as a Jewish person, a lot of the German persecution was starting to happen 
in Germany of Jews and some of his opportunities even to have a career were actually being cut short. So he moves to Paris for greater opportunity and he could be a writer in that context. And his writing and his poetry was prolific enough that his poetry was set to music more than anyone else in his time period, to music by Schubert and Liszt and Schumann and others. One way of describing him is to think of him as the 19th century Bob Dylan. And what I want to highlight are some of the similarities between the cholera epidemic of 1832 and what we're experiencing with the coronavirus epidemic of 2020. So here's some examples of similarities between the past and the present. The cholera epidemic originated also in Asia, number one. Secondly, there had been a prior illness, serious illness, also originating in Asia, although the prior illness was not a worldwide epidemic or pandemic. The illness came to Paris in March, just like the illness came to a lot of the world outside of China in March as well. Illness spread along the paths of global trade and travel, just like we see in today's world. In many regions, there was a sloppy application of lockdowns. As a result, disease spread and disease spread in spite of lockdowns. At a certain point in Paris, the death rate was 800 people a day. There were not even enough hearses to carry people's coffins and bodies to the cemetery. All kinds of other conveyances had to be used. City buildings had to be repurposed to hold body bags of the deceased. People were dying alone because the disease was so contagious and so difficult, relatives really could not come to help them. And if you needed to go to bury someone, because frequently even in those days, funerals couldn't be held either because of the pandemic. And so the entrances to the cemeteries were crowded with cars just trying to get in to bury their loved ones. So those are some of the similarities between what happened in 1832 and what's happening now. Another big category of similarity is what I'll call the denial of reality. So people in Paris, they looked and said, oh, the virus is over in London. And even if it comes here to Paris, we're not going to be affected that severely. There was this sense of a national positivism, a sense of Western exceptionalism. And so people in Paris continued to carry on business as usual, all kinds of parties, all kinds of frivolity. And because March was the time of carnival, people were going to all kinds of carnival parties, dressed up in all kinds of costumes, and they just didn't take it seriously. And in fact, at one of the carnival parties, one person, a man who was there, suddenly realized that his legs were cold and just didn't feel normal. He snatched off his mask and his face was purple, which was the telltale sign of having the cholera illness. And so 
many people were shocked into their sensibilities about what was going on. But for a long time, they had this false notion, we're different, it won't happen to us. They failed to pay attention even to the science that they had and that was available in their day. And even though London was hit earlier, Paris did not learn from London, and so Paris actually suffered worse effects. Another category of similarity is that there was a disproportionate negative impact on the poor. Poor people in Paris were living in crowded living conditions. In many cases, they had unsanitary living conditions. They had less access to help and to resources. And because very often the worst proliferation of the cholera was in those communities, those people who got cholera in the big cities, in these crowded conditions, they were blamed as victims rather than for people to look at what were the conditions that they had to live under that were creating their vulnerability. Another place where there was similarity between 1832 and 2020, once the grim reality sets in, that there is a serious pandemic that's claiming many lives, then that grim reality leads to fear. And in the atmosphere of that fear, we see anarchy, riots, exploitation, self-absorption. However, as friends, associates, neighbors die, the denial is broken. So people aren't exactly in denial anymore. However, because of the fear, they're vulnerable to some other things that happen. So in 1832, just as today, some false narratives and some conspiracy theories were actually promoted concerning the cholera virus. One of them said, oh, the people didn't really die of cholera. They were poisoned. And the poison was disseminated through the food. The poorest people in the city were afraid to go to the marketplace to buy food, afraid to eat food, and therefore they became even more vulnerable. And because this false conspiracy theory was promoted so widely and people were complaining to the police that shouldn't they do something, the police even knowing that these conspiracies weren't true, they claimed to hunt for the people who were doing the poisoning. And because the police claimed to hunt for them, this gave even more fuel to the conspiracy theory. If the police are hunting for them, then it must be true. They must be out there. In addition, vigilantes took it upon themselves to go out and search for these poisoners. And if they saw someone doing something unusual, something they called suspicious or something that they thought was a little bit different, they would attack that person and often killed many innocent people, including a man who was carrying a little bit of white powder in a little bag that he had gotten from the store because this was supposed to be something to help in case you got sick with the cholera, it would help in the healing. Well, they didn't know what that was. They didn't ask any questions. They attacked him and killed him first. The other thing that started happening was some riots. 
there were these men who were called ragmen. And what ragmen did is they dug through the garbage that people threw out in front of their homes. This is where the garbage was collected in front of the homes. The ragmen would go in there and see if there was anything salvageable that they could take out and sell later for a profit. Well, with the cholera epidemic being so severe, the government authorities said, well, we need to not have people throw the garbage out in front of the houses anymore. We're going to transport that outside of the city at a greater distance. If the ragmen still want to search through the garbage, they can go out there and search for it. Well, the ragmen were so upset because their business was disrupted, their mercenary interest was disrupted, and they focused more on self-interest rather than the greater good. So the ragmen and the women who promoted their businesses, they were rioting in the streets. Something else that also happened was that false cures were touted. People would come up with things that had no basis for reality in terms of being a cure. And one of those false cures were these purgatives, something that would make you kind of throw up, except that it caused greater dehydration and actually worsened the effects of the illness. And then there were just people taking advantage of this trial and this dilemma to just stir up unrest and to sow seeds of dissension in the street. Another similarity was that even back then, money was a protection against death to some extent. So the rich people they got out of Dodge. They did not stay in Paris. They left Paris and they went to their country homes. Foreigners, people who were not from Paris, they left the country and went back to the country of origin. People were shocked to see that Haida actually stayed in Paris since he could have gone back to Germany. But one of the things that Haida said, quote, was this, if there is help that can be tendered to others more vulnerable than one must obviously stay, unquote. And one of the things he did at great risk to himself is he nursed a sick cousin back to health when the cousin came down with the cholera disease. Now, as we look at all of these scenarios, a general commentary about this is that, number one, disaster is disorienting to people. Paranoia and conspiracy are then used as lethal scourges because of the disorientation. However, we can also choose differently. We can use the virus as an opportunity to look through a magnifying glass, as they Haida described it, and see how our choices pre-pandemic affect our experiences in the pandemic. So George Proshnick talks a lot about that. And I've talked a lot about this, how that this season is a time for vision. We're going to see something. Maybe it's a difficult reality, but it's something we didn't know before. And that gives us the opportunity to do something about it. So I want to outline what I see as our opportunity and the call to leadership. So number one, this is the opportunity to enlarge our empathy and our empathetic scope. Really empathize with what people, other people are going through. Number two, give practical help. 
Number three, think of others and not just yourself. Maybe you don't need to wear a mask. Maybe you don't need to be six feet from other people, but the person next to you, they might need to be at that distance. They may need to be protected by your mask and also their own. Change the societal conditions that cause or allow disproportionate suffering. For some people, the richer people, quarantine was a period of self-healing, a retreat. For those who are very poor, who didn't have financial resources to survive during a total lockdown and quarantine period, and in countries where provision wasn't made, for those people, it might be a stamp of death and it could be a stamp of an imprisonment of sorts. And number five, see through this moment to imagine and create a genuinely healthier world on the other side. We have seen the societal impacts, as Proshnik would say, of mediocrity in leadership. So I would say it behooves us to learn from the experiences of others, including others from history. And I want to again give a special thanks to George Proshnik for his very insightful and thoughtful article on these similarities. And to you, the listener out there, I say to your health, to your life, to your safety during this season. And I further would share with you this quote from Heinrich Heide, experience is a good school but the fees are high. Did you know that teams do the bulk of the work in successful organizations? And for this reason, it's very important to build and develop your teams. And first, you might want to know where you are in the process. So I invite you to take the complimentary team assessment to identify your current strengths and also your learning opportunities in launching and developing high-performance teams that get dynamic organizational results. So go to my website, www.transleadership.com, and you'll see on the homepage, there's a brown bar that says, Take the High-Performance Team Assessment. You'll find it just under the running photographs. Click there and get your results. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan, for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.